Welcome to Nevermore Podcast. Nevermore Podcast is the official podcast at the Three Little Sisters Publishing House. The Three Little Sisters supports independent authors who focus on the importance of stories. For over six years, we have focused on books that matter. With our passion for publishing, we have released over 16 titles with tons more to come. Support independent publishers that put authors first by purchasing one of our titles at www.the3, that's the number three, littlesisters.com. On the program with me today, we have Xiao Mulian Barubi, our executive coordinator, and Sarah Strickland, our creative director. Welcome to the program, ladies. Thank you, and nice Hello. to have be back. Yeah, so this is going to be a little bit difficult for us because we have three of us on today. So if you hear us cutting each other off, it's not on purpose. We're just getting used to how to do this with three of us. Mm -hmm. So I realized in past episodes that I've actually never introduced myself. So my name is Larissa Hunter, and I am the president and founder of The Three Little Sisters. I've been publishing books for over 16 years. And um, my team has really helped me build this company in the last couple of years. Uh, Shiel and Sarah have been working around the clock to help us take this into the future and really focus and uh, drill down on the importance of creating stories that matter. And I couldn't really run this company without them. So I really appreciate all the hard work that they put in every day. So today on the podcast, we are going to be doing uh, movies and film or books, sorry, books and film adaptations. On the previous podcast, we actually dove into fairy tales. And in our first podcast, we interviewed Kaylee Bray from Damsel's Dice and Everything Nice. She was an amazing interview. And I thoroughly enjoyed talking to her about what it was like to create princesses in D&D. &D. And now that we're moving on to Stargazing Month, it brings me right back to the thought of uh, really being you know, into uh, the mind of a child and looking at the universe around us and really understanding what that means. Uh, and when film and book adaptations, I think that children especially uh, really want films that can explain a book in a much more layman's terms and so that reading becomes a little bit more uh, an easy go for them. So, um, this episode of the Nevermark podcast is again mixed by mobile sounds. And we're going to be starting off with talking about books and film adaptation. So why does uh, why don't we have uh, Sarah kick us off with uh, what do you think about book and film adaptations? I always think it's kind of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you know, it they can be done really, really well and they can really lead people to the books who maybe haven't already read them but then on the other hand you know as a fan you don't want to see your favorite book turned into a really bad movie so it can be kind of a double-edged sword i can attest to that as a person now this is more of an adult content book um take the dark tower for example a lot of the dark tower fans are really hardcore fans now, at first, I was like, Idris Alba as, you know, the gunslinger, it doesn't work because there's two characters in the book that actually have a relationship based off of, of all things racism. One, the gunslinger is a white man with steely blue eyes, and the one that calls him, quote unquote, excuse the expression to, uh, honky tonk, is a black woman. So when they came out with that book, the book adaptation to the movie, I, at first I was like, eh. and I love Idris Elba. 
great guy, wonderful actor, but I was like, wow, no, this is not going to work at first. But then if you take it and you look at it and you go, no, this is a continuation of what Stephen King calls a different when or a different time or a different, you know, string theory, as it were, a different um, parallel universe, then it's not actually in the end an adaptation. And so it kind of works in the end. So just to reiterate Sarah's um, point is it can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, I think people make assumptions when they see or hear a character um, in the book, they're putting that intonation in their head. So we have this pre-assumption of what a character should be, what they sound like, what they look like, because we're imagining that. And so when they put it in a movie, it becomes this almost contradictory thing in our mind. Uh, for example, a really uh, another example where they used probably what was not um how do i want to put this um not expected more or less was when they used idris alba to play uh, heimdall in the movie thor a lot of people went in a full-on rage about it because like a black heimdall but really um when you read the mythology it actually does say he's he's supposed he's dark so i don't understand I think we just put things in our mind about what uh, someone's supposed to look like, what they sound like, and then we kind of give that character those elements. And then when we see them on the screen, if it doesn't match what's in our mind, it kind of breaks our reality. And that's, I think, one of the downsides of, you know, a film book adaptation. Another really good example of that is when they uh, decided to make Outlander a series. Um, you know, a lot of people had a preconceived notion of what Jamie looked like, who's the main character, and what Claire looked like, who's the other main character. So when they introduced the actors that were going to be playing it, a lot of people were like, oh, no, 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 that's not going to work. Because they had already had that preconceived notion, and that, you know, it ended up being kind of a moot point because both of the actors are doing a fantastic job, so. Right, and then I think you kind of get actors that become pigeonholed into certain roles mm -hmm. like for example when you uh you, you know like look at a, a big one like the stars of harry potter it's really hard for them to move beyond that although i have to say that daniel radcliffe i thought made a really great transition when he went to the movie horns because mm -hmm. that was a complete departure from you know the harry potter that he played but i think sometimes we see actors like sort of sticking in that role and so it's hard to see you know hermione beyond hermione or um idris alba in so many different roles and then you kind of like pigeonhole him and that he should be a certain way and then they surprise you by doing something different and then you realize like they are pretty good about you know adapting and evolving and changing as a person so again, I think that's more like our mind tells us that that person should only do that thing. <laughs> but the actors, of course, are trained to do, you know, a number of roles and mm -hmm. can move beyond what they originally did. Another good example of that where you pigeonhole an actor is look at um, Patrick Stewart. We all know him from Star Trek. He's Captain Picard, mm -hmm. right? And then you take him and you look at him as uh, Professor X, in in marvel's x-men and you're looking at him going oh wow what a difference you know and that, uh, even hugh jackman 
he was he started out in theatrical and musicals and he's wolverine two totally separate very different creatures from each other and talking about pigeonhole and holding people it's amazing what we what we we pigeonhole in our minds about you know books and characters and what we see as one character and what another person sees it's all about perspective everybody's right. different perspective that's where I think our mind, you know, has limits that are not really there, <laughs> you know, like right. these, these <laughs> limits, these limits don't exist. And that's, that's what I think is a, a takeaway from what we're all saying is that when you read a book and you see a film based on that book, you can't make the assumption that it's going to be the same. And an adaptation means they're just sort of skimming into the book about what, you know, is the important parts really that kind of like cohesively can make a film. And that's really the problem with translating uh, books, especially large tomes like Lord of the Rings. You, you can't put, you know, a thousand to 2000 pages into a script. It's just, it's impossible to intone the amount of, of um, character development, the plots, the, you know, the tendrils that go off of everywhere into one hour film. Like it's just not, you can't. And so, you would be taking Lord of the Rings and way more than a weekend to watch all of them. You'd be taking a week to watch mm -hmm. all of them if they did that. Although it pretty much almost takes a week with them being, you know, four hours each. <laughs> That's yeah, a lot. They're big movies. So, um, Sheila, what was your favorite, you know, book to film adaptation, do you think? Well, I, I'd have to say, well, it wasn't really a movie per se. It was right now, it's still a TV, made for TV movie. Um, two of them. And they both come from the same, of course, a writer. Everybody knows that I'm a Stephen King fan. Huge Stephen King fan. You should see my collection. It kills bookshelves <laughs> and desks. Um, I would say the first one is definitely The Stand. And apparently from what rumor has it is, is that they're actually making a new stand. Um, Gary Sinise was amazing as the main character for the stand uh, for the TV adaptation. Um, another one was uh, Storm of the Century. Both of them follow very closely. Uh, they, they really, honestly, most of Stephen King's adap adaptations follow fairly closely. Uh, if you want to go book to movie, Hollywood, it, both versions, but uh, gear, I, the the original, definitely the original clown is my favorite. Sarah, what about you? What's your favorite book to film adaptation? Oh man, I have a lot. Um, <laughs> I would have to say, I would have to say Fight Club, because that really, it's a brilliant book, the uh, written by a brilliant author, and then when they made the movie. They, of course, made changes to some of the details, but the changes actually ended up being better. So it's one of those weird things where it's like, as much as I love the book, as much as I love the author, the movie's actually better than the book. Yeah, um, so mine is Stardust, and that was written by Neil Gaiman. I think this is by far um, my favorite movie and favorite book to film adaptation, just because of the way that they they filmed it and the characters in it are absolutely fantastic. I think the movie kind of got underappreciated. It's a fantastic film and uh, it just follows this uh, basically adventure of this girl that 
uh, is a star that falls onto earth and this guy has to like track her down and she's being chased by witches and it's an amazing film and if anybody has young kids this is a really amazing film completely rated g it's perfect for kids um absolutely fantastic movie and i loved the book and they didn't really really make much changes um they changed a few things like character names and the pace of it but really other than that like it was spot on and uh even neil gaiman apparently says that this was one of the best films based off one of his books and he still talks about it to this day so that is real big cred when the author says oh i really love (laughs) the adaptation that you made from my (laughs) book so we're going to enter this by uh, taking a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about what really does an author have to do to get their book made into a film for goodness sake so let's talk about that when we come back nevermore podcast is mixed by mobile sounds looking for a dj this summer looking to liven up your event by busting a move to some awesome groups the mobile sound has got you covered located in ontario canada mobile sounds can provide you the right sound for your next event Contact them on Facebook at Mobile Sounds DJ. As we approach for the summer, we would like to take a second to look back on our publications. Six years ago today, Embracing Heathenry was released. The first nonfiction title published by the Three Little Sisters, the book chronicles the journey of me, myself, as I moved from Christianity to Heathenry and the struggles I faced along the way. Pick up a copy of this introspective book at www.the3, that's the number three, littlesisters.com and we'll be back in a minute and we're back and back on the program we're still continuing with sarah and sheil as we talk about what does an author have to do to get their darn book made into a movie for goodness sake so um i'm gonna kick this one off personally i think it is absolutely ridiculous that any author wishes that their book was made into a film i it is a dream that is almost unreachable. Um, the ones that have been made into films are purely by luck. And honestly, more than likely, someone in that film crew had read the book and thought that it would make a good screen adaptation. Most of the time, when movie studios get a hold of a book, it has to look like it can be merchandised. That's the number one thing. So unless you're able to write a book that can make dolls and clothes and outfits and theme parks, you've got a really hard time trying to make your book into a film. But maybe I'm just a big curmudgeon who doesn't honestly think too much that the likelihood of your book turning into a film is possible. But what do you guys think? Um, for me, um, there's been a few times actually that, uh, of all people, the has brought it up is apparently Brad Pitt has his own production company where it's, it's almost like he, he's searching out those unknowns. Uh, she's brought it up a few times where, you know, we should toss a couple of our books his way just to see, you know, tickle the toes in the water kind of deal to see if he would pick up one of the books. Um, is it hard to get your book to an adaptation to movie or for TV? Absolutely. Uh, it's very hard to merchandise something like that, especially across the board. It's very hard to merchandise anything across the board, really. So being a curmudgeon, I don't think you are being one. I think it's it's just something that sometimes isn't attainable. And you know what? That's okay. I I think it's also people forget 
as an author, how much work you have to put into the outcome. You know, look at, for example, look at Good Omens right now, which is huge, um, which was written by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. You know, Neil Gaiman has been working for years on this, this series to make sure that it is the way that him and Terry visualized it. And I don't think people realize that, you know, that's, that's the kind of work that you put into it. Um, you know, the author of Outlander, the same thing for her. She has put so much work and so much effort into making sure that Outlander, the show matches what she was trying to convey in the book. Um, so aside, you know, aside from the hurdle of getting that attention, getting someone to say, you know, Hey, you're, we think this would be profitable. You also then have to consider the amount of work that you would have to do as the author. And I think it's just mind blowing. And yeah, I don't think it would be something that a lot of authors would actually even wish for, <laughs> you know, to be I, honest with you. I do see your point. I mean, it's one thing to write a manuscript for a book. And it's one thing to write a manuscript for a screenplay. There are two yeah. totally different skill sets. Mm -hmm. Plus, then you have also this fear that you're going to disappoint your fans. You know, when you look at um, the first adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale, she has said that she wasn't, like, she loved the actors and everything, but she wasn't happy with the way the whole thing turned out. But the series she loves, you know, and the same with J.K. Rowling. Like, there's, there's things I'm sure that, I believe she's even said publicly that she wasn't a hundred percent happy with. So I think, I think there's sometimes where the movie theaters or the movie companies will be like, well, no, you can't put that in, but, mm -hmm. but authors, they, they see every part of their manuscript as important. So cutting out like one or two things is like, well, now you're ruining the whole plot, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> that I, I think, detail comes back later. <laughs> yeah, right. Because we, you know, authors are in it for the long game, whereas um, movie companies have to, you know, speed up the, the film to go into that one hour slot. And that's, that's really the problem is that when you're doing screen adaptations, like people do not have retention for long films. They really don't. It's hard to watch a three or four hour film. Like mm -hmm. you miss something, you often have to rewatch it because it's not that we have a hard time with, with attention spans, but it's just a human mind can only consume so much information in a, in a short period of time. So you can't like brain dump a person with, you know, the entire collection of like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. You can't do that. So instead you have to give them, you know, bite-sized uh, portions of the film that may or may not reflect the true nature of what really was textually written. You also can't dump that kind of thing on a newbie either. If somebody just coming to the series and has never read the books and let's say, for example, take Dark Tower. Again, it's a huge eight book magnum opus. It's his life's work and it bleeds into every other book or when for his world and his universe. It's like a, a whole Marvel universe, Stephen King style. You can't dump all of that on somebody especially mm -hmm. when they're just just starting out with some of this stuff it's confusing yeah like game of thrones same thing yeah. like people refuse to watch the series until they wrote uh, read all the books but he's still writing the books so like how are you ever gonna you know <laughs> so it doesn't really help when the author is also continuing to write the series like apparently two day two or three days ago i guess jk rowling came out and said she's writing more harry potter books like 
are we not done with this series? I mean, Voldemort's <laughs> dead, man. Like, you know, how are you going to, I don't know where you would go with that. Like, Who else are you going to kill off? Right, <laughs> like, how many, but I mean, you can see Warner Brothers already the machine, you know, gearing up for like, well, she's going to write more of these things, you know, we're going to capitalize more yeah. merch yeah more merchandise more oh, harry you know, potter and... was a huge money maker for them so yeah they're already jumping on the bit like hey uh <laughs> yeah we got you covered there <laughs> <laughs> right so i think that's uh you know it can be a, a sort of a double-edged sword as you guys said it is a great thing because i mean it's it's hundreds of millions of dollars for the author but it, there's also a trade-off in that in that you are possibly going to lose a lot of your work um you're going to get criticized hard for how wordy and, and um long out your plots are because that can't work at a film adaptation and i think there's you know there's trade-offs i mean it would be nice if one of our author's books <laughs> became that famous i mean that would be fantastic but i think reality is that it shouldn't be the author's first goal uh, that that's a, a dream and a wish more than that's what you're writing the book for you're mm -hmm. not writing it to be merchandise you're writing it because you want to write it and that's really what it comes down to uh, don't write to be famous as <laughs> um, i think um another really good point as far as that you know um i believe it was stephen king who had written uh his book on on writing and he i believe it was that book where he mentions you know it if you are writing to be famous then you're never going to be happy with your work that because absolutely it's not going to be yeah. it's not going to be a reflection of you it's going to be a reflection of the audience that you think you need to get famous for him writing isn't about him it's about uh the characters that never existed as mm -hmm. the quote that was thrown up on our facebook page uh, you know you're not writing to tell the truth about yourself you're writing to tell the the lies about the people that never existed mm -hmm. so it's never about the right the writer it's always about who you can bring about and create what are you creating for those two others who who enjoy your work or for others to enjoy Right. And I think that's key in when film adaptations happen. It's because somebody loved the book enough mm -hmm. and they want to see that book become reality. And I think when authors are starting out writing, you write to that person, you know, the person that's sitting there waiting for your book, you write to that anonymous person that's out there and, and you treat it as if you're writing to one person and not a whole world. Because if you're just writing to one person and reaching one person, that's when your book is going to become a success because one person leads to more, per more people. And that's just the nature of us. We fall in love with a book. You spread that love around, you share the book and that's how books become popular. I mean, this is how the popularity of Harry Potter grew and how to train your dragon grew. It was because somebody out there loved it enough to share it. Mm -hmm. and, and then it became two and then four and then a million, you know, so uh, write to that one and then see how much it expands from there. Despite the fact that we are a very online, very close knit global community these days, we're still word of mouth, regardless whether that's online, offline or anything in between. So word of mouth is definitely something that works for just about any author. 
and it is that one person you're writing for and if that one person you're writing for happens to be yourself and not anyone else then that's just as okay as writing for someone else too oh absolutely all right so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about our least favorite book to film adaptation so watch out hollywood because we're coming for you <laughs> the teutonic way is back in print the three volume collection by renowned author cadolfo gunderson is now available at www.thethreelittlesisters.com that's the number three littlesisters.com the book is jam-packed with history resources and practices for modern heathens to use pick up this amazing tome today and find your way back to the old gods over the past few years, we have published eight fictional books. The Story of Our Books by Carolyn Fritz is an adventurous retelling of the tales from the author's grandfather. Reminiscent of the movies Big Fish and BFG, the story is woven between truth and fantasy, taking the reader on a trip through the intimate life of this amazing man. Beautifully illustrated with hand-drawn sketches, adding depth to the story within. Pagan Child by Warwick Hill is set in the 14th century. The book is the story of Christian Christiansen, a Danish nobleman who brings Ulf, his son, home to Denmark. Egric from Warwick Hill is about the people living under the protection of Lord Balfrith and Father Oshart, as they are threatened by the most ancient evil in a forest. Um, it is a forest lad called Egric who comes to save them. All three books are available on our website in both ebook and print at www.thethreelittlesisters.com. We'll be back in a minute. All right, and we're back. And still on the program, you've got Larissa, Sarah, and Sheil, and we're about to talk about our least favorite film to or book to film adaptation. What's your least favorite? Go, Sarah. <laughs> oh, man. Um... The target is now on your back. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate me, Hollywood. Um, honestly, I think... The one that comes to the top of my mind is um, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Um, I know the, I think it was the BBC that made a series about it and I just, I could not get into it. And I love the book, but I just could not get into the series at all. Fair enough. Um, Sheila, what about you? What's your least favorite uh, book to film adaptation? I actually really honestly kind of don't have one. But if I were to choose one, I'd probably, it was actually the reverse, um, but the book was better than the, the four TV adaptation, The Langoliers. Uh, it's a Stephen King, very old story. Um, it was a TV adaptation first before I think it was released as a book, if I'm not mistaken. And if I am mistaken, somebody correct me out there in the interwebs, probably going to get corrected. Um, I preferred the book. And I'm pretty sure that book was written probably before they released the adaptation. The adaptation has that actor there um, that did you did you remember Perfect Strangers? Yes, the guy who did Balky. He oh, did yeah, the yeah. main antagonist who was ripping the paper in the plane. And see, I don't know if you guys know the story of Langoliers. What happens is is a, a group of people on a plane end up going through what is what us King fans consider what's called a thinny. 
which is a thin area between two worlds, and they end up in the past. But the Langoliers are what eat up the past so that the present and the future can keep moving forward. So it doesn't anchor it down, right? That's that's the idea of the Langoliers. So these eyeless, faceless, big-mouthed, circular, Pac-Man-like creatures, and they're eating up everything in their path. And it's it's a great, great book. Um, I just didn't like the TV adaptation because it didn't delve into more than what it should have. So I have two that are kind of not my favorite. Um, it's going to sound weird, but I did not like the film adaptation of The Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. The book was phenomenally better. The film did not really even scratch the surface of what that book was. They kind of screwed up a few characters for me. Um, didn't enjoy it at all, even though it's funny. I just feel like the character Susan, which was the daughter of death, didn't really get enough screen time and I just didn't really enjoy it at all. And the second one, American Gods, the series. I, 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 I don't know what happened. I don't know who told anyone to make it like that, but whoever did is way wrong. Like the, the, the weird filming, the lighting, uh, it's just so bizarre. Like, it's not like the book at all. And, um, I just feel like it's a, I can see why it it isn't doing very well (laughs) and why he's had a hard time getting funding for it. I just think that that book should be a one-off film and not a series because it's just too complicated to put into a series like that. So I I did not enjoy those two. Those are my To reiterate your your, um, comment about uh, weird filming styles, the first person recording, camcorder recording style really drives me bonkers. Um, Being a person of heart that's hard of hearing, um, it's really hard to focus on something like that style of recording or movie because then I've got to, you know, it takes away from my ability to to round out my my five senses because one's already a little bit um, uh, disabled, if you were. I don't like using that word, but that's for lack of a better word, disabled. Um, it just it pulls my focus away from what they're trying to tell me in their their movie, and I hate first person record camcorder point of view. Drives me bonkers. And if it's what I think you're talking about, then that's the way it's they're recording it, aren't they? No, it's more that they uh, do this vignette style where they show you a scene, but it's slow. It's slow. It lights like the movie Three Hundred. It's like mm. pausey and slow, and they kind of they they do this weird lighting effect where you know you're you're sort of there, but it's kind of grayed out in the background. And I, certain colors are more robust than yeah, others. like see that reds. works for Three Hundred. That works <laughs> right. for Three Hundred. It don't work right. for every movie. <laughs> And just the way that the like American Gods is an amazing book. Okay, absolutely flat out the most enjoyable oh, it's book. Beautiful. It's a beautiful book. Okay, and if and if anybody out there has not read it, they should. Um, and, and I can't believe we're promoting like other publishing houses' works, but honestly, <laughs> American Gods is a good book. That would be uh, part we- for the course. That's us. We promote everybody else too. Yeah, like, I, if authors want to learn how to write, you know, Neil Gaiman is one to read, to oh, learn yes. pacing, plot lines, 
how to draw out characters. He is a very good metric for learning how to write. Same with Terry Pratchett and, and Stephen King's right up there too. Good writers know how to draw you into a book and Neil Gaiman definitely can do that. But American Gods, I guess, is just, it was one of like the early books that I read when I came into Heathen Marie because it came out a while ago. And so to me, I already had, you know, Odin in my mind. And so when I was reading it, I saw him very there. And the way that the poetic style that Neil writes in, it was very much fitting of the way Odin would talk. So when when they made the show and they chose that, I don't know who the actor is, to play Odin, I was surprised because I'm like, why does he have two eyes, first of all? And why is he speaking normally? Like, he did not speak normally in the book. He spoke very like Odin. <laughs> like, Odin speaks in this, like, rhymy, poetic, almost like he's telling you a story every time. It was almost it just like everything match. he said was like a riddle. Right. You know, but, it was very weird. <laughs> but in the show, they kind of, like, dumbed it down, and, and it wasn't riddly. It was just straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I found that kind of weird. And I also feel that they messed up that the goddess who like consumes men uh, oh, yeah, yeah. via her private areas. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, they totally screwed her up. Like I was like, it didn't even, you couldn't even tell what was going on. It was like, what is even happening in this? And so um, I just think they kind of messed up a lot of things and made it less, uh, less meaningful. There was just a lot of things I just did not enjoy about the, and, and I just didn't like the, the attempt to make it like overly gory and weird and like splashing blood all over the place. And I was like, what is even happening? I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just yeah. felt it was a terrible adaptation and just not, you know, not what I expected at all. I just thought they would try like now, now I'm watching good omens and I'm not going to give any spoilers because it's on prime now for anybody who has Amazon prime, you can watch good omens. It's included in your prime membership. Um, and it's a lot better. Oh, it's, uh, it's amazing. The the nuns are spot on to the way the book was. So I have to say that adaptation is, per- but I can tell he had more influence. See, mm-hmm. I heard when American Gods came out, when reading articles, that he really kind of got overruled on a lot of things. And I think that's why it kind of didn't really sit well with a lot of people because no one enjoyed it. Like, I think it got the worst ratings of any show like nobody liked it nobody could tell what was going on and um it was a shame because it's such an amazing book but if anybody out there can grab a copy of american gods and read it it's great they he also came out with a graphic novel that's amazing and both are are really good the graphic novel is fantastic just beautiful and it's got odin and loki very much spot on to the way that they were in the book and the way that we see them as heathens so it's a really I think, good. I think that's another perfect example of having an expectation as a reader and then not having that expectation met in the adaptation because you're constantly looking for those little details that made the story for you that aren't in the adaptation or, you know, a certain way a character behaves or a certain scene that really was important and it's not in there. And you're just kind of like, okay, you've lost me. Yeah, like, I don't mean to throw spoilers. If anyone hasn't seen American Gods, sorry, but I guess this will be a spoiler. There's a scene where he goes to this house full of Russian gods. And in the book, there's 
was one goddess that was up in a room and she can only come out at nighttime and shadow the main character gets a coin that that is actually the moon and the way that it was filmed in the series i was like didn't understand the whole scene i was confused i was like what is this because in the book it explains so well like shadow accidentally sees this goddess and she's crazy and he opens the door just slightly and she's like this maniac <laughs> who's mm -hmm. like going mental in this room because she can't be out in the daytime and she's just talking at him like some mad crazy woman and i think this the book is just anyway the adaptation is not that great so i i prefer the book over the show and uh, definitely uh, didn't did not enjoy that at all so with all that in mind we're gonna take uh another break and when we come back i think we're just gonna wrap up this episode of um book to film adaptation and uh go on to our next episode so um let's just take a little break here and we're going to again continue uh, advertising the fictional books that we've released over the past six years Maeve's Raid is a story of intriguing historical fiction set in the Ulster Cycle. Maeve's Raid follows the story of Queen Maeve of Konyat as she fights to save her title as queen. Beowulf is out from, both are from Stephen Grundy, where the story of Beowulf follows the actual adventure that everyone knows about, where Beric is given the mocking name of Beowulf by his fellow youths follow both adventures by picking up these copies in print or ebook at www.the3 that's the number three littlesisters.com Stephen and Melody will be attending Dublin Worldcon this August where Maeve's Raid and Beowulf will be in attendance pick up your copy and perhaps even get it signed if, when you find them in the vendors hall at Dublin Worldcon and now we're going to take a quick break and we'll see you on the next episode. And we're back to wrap up film to book adaptation on the program today. We've talked about our least favorite, our most favorite, what authors can do or not do to get their book made into a film. And I think our last bit of roundup is going to be just some final thoughts and, um, personal annotations about what we feel about uh, films and books and, and things like that. So let's just kick off that general uh, roundup. Uh, Sheila, you want to take the lead on this one? Oh, you read my mind. I have a question for you, <laughs> ladies. Sure. What adaptation would you like to see happen? Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. I have to think about this for a second. See, I can't even answer the question. It just popped into my head. I have no idea what adaptation I would love to see, but maybe even for me, a Marvel version of the Dark Tower off of their dark graphic novels. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see the story of our books. I, you know what? I, yes, story of our books. Definitely one that should go to adaptation. That one would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I really do think that Caroline made an amazing book here and uh, I'm trying not to be favoritism over our authors because all of them have a book that could be made into a film like Stephen also like to have a film based on Maeve that would be epic and she would be a good character to have in a film that one would um, be rated R 
<laughs> but it would be good. Like that would be a good film. That should be a really good television series if you could follow her adventures, almost like the way they did um, Mary and Elizabeth, or or like the Tudor series. Yeah, that could be like right along the same lines. So it's kind of gaudy too, like a Game of Thrones kind of deal for Maeve's Raid too. So it would make a perfect TV adaptation. Yeah, so I think that you know those two, I definitely would love to see them made into something. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough because I have a lot of books that I really love, but I'm not sure any of them that I'm reading right now would be like I'm reading uh, Tears We Shall Not Stop: A Sermon to White America. I don't think that would be a very good film. And just because it's not really meant to be, it, it, it's more like lessons, um, talking about racism. And honestly, I think Black Klansman did a really amazing job of tying in a lot going on now with what went on then. Um, and if anyone hasn't seen that film, oh my God, you have to see that film. Like uh, the Black Klansman by um, Spike Lee, amazing film, got me to tears at the end it it's just phenomenal sarah um, what about you what what adaptation would you love to see um i would love to see an adaptation of house of leaves by mark danielowski i think i'm probably butchering his last name but um but it's one of those books that makes me really nervous because i don't know that anybody could ever pull it off it's a very, the way the book is written, it is written to make you just as disoriented as the characters. And I just, I'm not sure that there's really a way that they could do that. So really good book though. <laughs> well, that, that this is kind of awesome to think about, you know, how we really write books and maybe perceiving that, um, you know, or, or as authors, like trying to write books that just appeal to general audiences maybe could be seen in different ways. Like maybe our conversation today is helping authors to really crack down on, are they writing it to be a film? Are they writing it just to be a novel? Maybe it's going to be a TV series. Is it more like they're trying to teach you something? I think you kind of have to think about what direction your novel is going to go into. And that's really what this conversation is coming to is that in, in any kind of adaptation, whether it's film or TV or just, you know, reading the book out loud or um, adaptations to ebook, you have to think about how your book is going to translate on different mediums to different people and how people are going to perceive that text. Are they reading it to learn? Are they reading it for adventure? Are they reading it to imagine? And, and that's really what you have to think about. What's that one person that you're trying to reach and really writing your book directly for that purpose uh, really helps authors to fine tune their work and think about it in a much more broad way. I think that that's what I would summarize based on this conversation. Um, I would tend to agree with you um, to reiterate, uh, you know, you do have to one to to take a moment and think well what is my audience what is my genre what is my my end goal is it really to you know go 
Game of Thrones style or Stephen King, as many as you can get out there, um, or, you know, as many books as you can to adaptation, TV or film, or are you writing for that one person that you think that this book could help, regardless of whether it's fiction or nonfiction or anything in between? Um, who can I help with my writing other than myself? Yeah. Any final thoughts, Sarah, or? I would actually caution against um, authors trying to write a book in hopes of getting it made into a movie or a series. Um, because again, I think so much, so much is going to be lost. If you're writing in that style, you're, you're going to lose a lot of detail because I think the assumption is, oh, well, they'll add it in in the movie. You're going to lose a lot of readers' attention when that detail isn't in there. I think if you just focus on making a really good book, you know, whether it be, you know, if it's a fictional book, focus on building the world, building the characters, giving them interesting things to do, but don't necessarily write for the hopes that if someone's going to grab it and make it a movie. Exactly. With all that in mind, we're going to take our last break advertising our last uh, title for this episode. And then we're going to be continuing with another episode coming up in July. We want to thank mobile sounds very much for all their hard work in mixing and matching up our um, sometimes unprofessional podcast, <laughs> but they do an amazing job and make us sound absolutely fantastic. So if you need your audio fixed or you just want to have DJs appear in an event, contact them at mobile sounds DJ on Facebook. I'd like to make a slight correction in that, our previous episode mentioned that I'm going to be attending the Muscles Mutz Meows uh, show, but I mispronounced the name. So the event is the third annual Muscle Mutz and Meows car show, and it is going to be taking place in Santa Maria, California. I will be in attendance with copies of The Happy Barn Cat, a complete guide to healthy Working Cats, complete with illustrations, recipes, and more. Melody Grundy takes an in-depth look at caring at our beloved feline companions. The book is filled with beautiful photographs, charming stories, and amazing step-by-step instructions on, for feeding bottle-feeding kittens. Pick up a copy of this book and help support the Orphan Kitten Rescue today. 5% of all profits are being donated to continue the legacy of supporting orphan cats. Available now in both ebook and print on our website at www.the3, that's the number three, littlesisters.com. I will also be having a selection of books from all of our lines for sale at the event. And if you're very lucky, you can win a prize box full of prizes from our two sponsors. We were lucky enough to get Kit Knit Box and Meow Box donating a box full of kitten stuff. So if you want to come by and win a whole bunch of stuff to welcome home your brand new kitten, then you are in luck. Come by and uh, donate to grab a raffle ticket. All raffle tickets will be $5 each. Half of that will be going towards the SPCA in California. So make sure you come on down to Santa Maria. It's going to be a beautiful day with hundreds of muscle cars entered to win a glorious trophy. So check all that out on our website where you can find a list of all our personal appearances. And that's it for this episode of Nevermore, the podcast. Mm -hmm.